Now we give a warm welcome to everyone joining with us for worship this evening, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin by singing to God's praise in Psalm 143. It's a second verse and it's page 439 of the Psalter, Psalm 143, the second verse and page 439 of uh, the Psalter. And let's remind ourselves that stretching out hands towards God is a posture of prayer. Lo, I do, it's at verse 6. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. For thou wilt understand all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee, as thirsty ground requires with rain refreshed to be. Lord, let my prayer prevail. To answer it make speed. For lo, my spirit doth fail, hide not thy face in need, lest I be like to those that do in darkness sit, or him that downward goes into the dreadful pit. We'll sing verses 6 to 12 of this song. Psalm 143, second verse and verse 6. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. Mom. 
Now let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the words of the song that we have just been singing. Help us to stop and ponder the truth contained within it. Lord, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. And we ask you to forgive us for forgetting that fundamental truth so often. So often in life's journey, we turn this way, that way, and to this one, and that one, and the next one for help. When in actual fact, our immediate response should be to turn to you. Because you alone have the answer to all the issues we face. And all the problems that confront us. At the end of the day in you we live and move and have our being. Our dependence is so complete. And is so utter. And is so absolute. But the songwriter tells us that. Thou well understands. All my complaint and moan. And the reality is that your people may find themselves in situations that nobody else on the face of this earth can enter into. But you can. Because you've been there before in your earthly sojourn. Even into the very depths of hell itself. And we pray that that truth would be a consolation to us when we are ravaged by the enemy of our souls and we are exceedingly low and desolate. We thank you that the song goes on to speak about dealing with the foe because the reality is this is a place of Extreme spiritual warfare. Sometimes the enemy comes like a roaring lion. He is so manifest, so clear, but so powerful that we want to wither away in fear. But there are other times he is so subtle and so cunning. We are in the trap before we realize it's there. And the sad thing is we keep making the same mistakes again and again. But may we remember this. When we turn to you and cry, you hear us. The psalm writer whose song we've just been singing could say that he wanted a speedy answer. You don't always give us that. In another of the Bible songs, the writer says, I waited for the Lord my God and patiently did bear. Sometimes you keep us waiting, not for your benefit, but for our own. Sometimes we get insights into ourselves in the frustrations of waiting that are a complete revelation to us. But we pray that any insight we get into who we are and what we are will be paralleled with an insight into who you are 
and what you are. We pray, O Lord, that you'd remember us this night. Remember those who would be here if they could, but who cannot, but who are joining with us in different ways. Be a blessing to them. Remember those whose family circle has been visited by the cold hand of death in recent times. There have been so many funerals in this community and beyond. May we remember that you are the conqueror of death. And may we be found, each and every one of us, trusting in you. Remember those who have hard things to face, whatever that might be. Remember those who have to go into hospital for operations in coming days. Be a blessing to them. We thank you that your promise is that you will never leave. And you will never forsake. Lord, help us to trust in you. And be with our loved ones, we pray. Wherever they might be across this globe this night. We pray that in the great beyond we will all be together. Because we have all exercised faith in Jesus as our Saviour. Bless little Roddy who was baptised this morning and bless all the children who were here. And indeed those who weren't here because we realise that some are on holiday at this time. Be a blessing to them where they are. May they come back to us refreshed in body and in soul. So be with us we pray for this hour of worship tonight. We thank you for the peace and tranquility of this place. We look at what's happening in the Ukraine. And from afar we can only imagine the devastation and the horror. The terrible heartache. Not just on the Ukrainian side, but we think of the mothers and the families of Russian soldiers who have gone into a situation thinking it was nothing more than an exercise. We pray that you would bring down those who are in positions of influence and power, who are abusing that power. We feel so utterly helpless in the face of it all, but at the end of the day, we can cry heavenwards. We ask you to have mercy upon us. Not that we deserve mercy, because we have so turned our backs on you. Not just at a national level in what we have legislated in recent times. But we have so turned our backs on you as individuals. And indeed the church in general has turned its back on you. O oh Lord, teach us to learn the lessons that you bring our way. And may we come in humility and repentance. Seeking your favour and your blessing. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise. This time it's Psalm 124 and it's the second version of the, the song. It's on page 418 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning now. Israel may say, and that truly, if that the Lord had not our cause maintained, if that the Lord had not our right sustained when cruel men against us furiously rose up in wrath to make of us their prey, then certainly they had devoured us all and swallowed quick for all that we could deem. Such was their rage as we might well esteem. 
And as fierce floods before them all things drowned, so had they brought our soul to death quite down. We'll sing the whole song to God's uh, praise. Psalm 1 to 4, second verse. And now Israel may say, and that truly.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. And we'll read at verse 27. Matthew 27 and at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters. And they gathered the whole battalion before him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself, if you are the Son of God, Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, liama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake 
and what took place they were filled with awe and said truly this was the son of God there were also many women looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee when it was evening there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who also was a disciple of Jesus he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus then Pilate ordered him ordered it to be given to him and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock and he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb the next day that is after the day of preparation the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said Sir we remember how that impostor said while he was still alive after three days I will rise Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard Amen and may God bless to us that uh, reading from his word let's join together again in prayer O Lord our God we pray that as we turn to explore something of this area of scripture this night that you would help us not that we deserve any help we simply don't But we come asking because you are a gracious God. And we pray that we would learn from the events that went on 2,000 years ago. We see people who were very scared. So scared they followed Jesus secretly. And we see others who are so arrogant and so loud and so belligerent, so ready to write Jesus off and to not only physically assault him, but to cast all kinds of derogatory accusations against him. But the prophet Isaiah was right. As a sheep before her shearer is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. And we are so amazed at the silence of Jesus and the readiness of him to take the barrage of abuse that is poured out at Golgotha. But may we remember that on another level something absolutely astonishing is happening in the midst of it all he is paying the price 
of the salvation of each and every one of us who believe in him. May we be able to discern these things. But the truth is we cannot discern them in and of ourselves because we are so blind by nature. But you can open our eyes and make us see these wonderful things. And we pray that you would feed us in our souls this night and make us ready for the week that we have entered into because it's day after day of spiritual warfare of the fiercest kind. And we ask you to help us. Be with us and be with your people across the globe this night, wherever they might be. Remember those who are struggling in the darkness and desolation and depravity of the Ukraine at this time. And indeed in the darkness and depravity of all the other nations under heaven. Remember the twos and threes who are gathered. And remember people who are believers in you who are all alone this night. May you come alongside. And may they experience something of what the two on the road to Emmaus felt. Did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us by the way and revealed to us the scriptures. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in Psalm number 105. And it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 105. It's found on page 374 of the Psalter. And it's at verse 1. Give thanks to God. Call on his name. To men his deeds make known. Sing ye to him. Sing psalms. Proclaim his wondrous works each one. See that ye in his holy name to glory do accord. And let the heart of everyone rejoice that seeks the Lord. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 105. Give thanks to God.
that we have read and no it's not the passage that we have read it's Luke's Gospel and it's at chapter 23 Uh, Luke's Gospel chapter 23 and we read at verse 50 now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of a Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. Now let's by God's enabling seek to explore something of this area of scripture. We've been doing a series of Uh, sermons on the Easter story for obvious reasons next Lord's Day is uh, Easter Sunday the day that reminds us of the resurrection indeed every Sunday every Lord's Day reminds us (coughs) of the resurrection and let's remember this that the Easter story isn't just about the death of Jesus of Nazareth it's about the triumph over death it's about his uh, it's about his resurrection now i think the reality is that if the followers of jesus had listened to him the way that they should have listened to him they would not have been taken aback when jesus was crucified and ultimately when he died but I'm afraid they were very very much like ourselves sometimes we only hear what we want to hear from the words of Jesus and what doesn't suit us 
and doesn't fit our agenda, we have an expert capability of blocking out. And we do such at our peril and to our great cost. And one of the things that astonishes me is this, how when we get to the place where we put our hands up and we admit that we haven't listened to what he's saying because it hasn't suited us to listen to him and we have reaped the rewards of that and we come back to him in repentance and confession one of the astonishing things is this our capability to repeat the same mistake we are meant to learn from our errors we are meant to learn from our falterings we are meant to gain an insight from our failings but we have a great capability to repeat and to repeat the same falterings and failings again and again but alas they did not listen the way that they ought to have listened and ultimately their breath was utterly taken away they could not believe that he was dead and you know if you had been there and I had been there and we had come to terms with the fact he really is dead he really is dead they've broken the legs of these other two men alongside him and that meant imminent death because any support that their diaphragm had was, was gone because the legs were now broken and death was imminent but they didn't do that to Jesus they didn't do that because he was already dead and these men who were in the execution squad they knew what they were about they knew when someone was dead they knew it and they were surprised that he was dead so quickly but as we looked at it last week the death of Jesus was so so different to any other death in the history of the human race in this respect we succumb we buckle we go under we are deluged by death and yes we can try and hold it back as much as we can but ultimately it defeats us and it will defeat us all that was not the way it was with Jesus of Nazareth with a loud voice he said into your hands to his father into your hands I commit my spirit and having said thus he gave up the ghost in other words in his time at his moment the master of death hands it over and it surprises the executioners that he's dead as soon as he's dead but this is not an event or these are not events that are going to be dictated to by an execution squad these are events that are going to be dictated to by the eternal God and that's what happens but if you and I had been there and I asked you what's going to happen now what would you have said what would you be saying 
Well, I hope that one of the things that would be said was this. We need to give him some decency. And we need to give him some dignity at this moment. All right. Who's going to do it? Who do you think is going to do it? And I think the answer from all of us might have been this. Well, I think it'll be some of the disciples. And if you are going to press me for an answer, I think it'll be Peter, James, and John. They are the three who are closer to him than all others. They are the ones who will come to his aid. And they are the ones that will stand by him and defend him and give him decency and dignity and death. There was only one of them as far as we know at the cross. John was there. We have no record of any other disciple. You know, it's strange. We have a record of many women being there. And they held out to the very, very end. They saw where they laid the body of Jesus. These women. That's why on the Sunday morning they knew where they were going. They'd watched it. They knew exactly where they were going to put spices on the body. Peter is nowhere to be seen. He's forsaken them and he's fled. And he's denied them three times over. But it wasn't just Peter who fled. They all forsook him. And they all fled. Well, who is it going to be? Who is going to give him this decency and dignity? And that's what we're being told in this area of Scripture. At least we're being told about one of the men because there were two of them. And I guess it needed at least two. It was just too much for one person to do on his own. And it was Nicodemus. The man who came to Jesus by night and had that astonishing conversation when Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And he's thinking, can a man enter for a second time into his mother's womb? And you think that this is a leader, this is an academic, this is an intellectual in the land of Israel. And you're thinking, my, oh my, how far off the mark can you be? It looks as if you can get yourself into positions in life's journey that are very influential and are very important and you're just not up to the task. You can be in that position. And regarding spiritual matters at any rate, he was pretty much clueless. But that's not the last we hear of Nicodemus. That is not the last we hear of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a wonderful example of how, how, how rampant the change can, that can take place through the influence of the Spirit of God in the life of a human being. Because he comes out of the shadows when someone is needed to come from the shadows to do something for Jesus because nobody else is coming except for this man Joseph of Arimathea but it's not so much Nicodemus we want to look at this evening we want to look at uh, this man Joseph of Arimathea and we just want to ask some questions first of all who was he? and the second thing we want to ask is what did he do? And the third thing we want to ask is, what did 
it all fulfilled because it did fulfill something it fulfilled scripture but the first thing is this who was he and the amazing thing is this he was a member of the Sanhedrin there were a group there was a group of 70 people and they along with the high priests were the final court of decision making amongst the Jews now it's true that Rome has conquered Israel and Rome are the supreme rulers but Pax Rome was the whole idea was this Rome wanted to give as much rule and autonomy to the locals as was wise so they let them have a fair degree of latitude and to get on with things the whole idea was to keep the whole thing peaceful let's keep the Roman Empire together and let's do it in the easiest way possible and that is by letting the locals run the show as much as it was wise to allow them to do it so these 70 people the Sanhedrin and let's remember this we in our country today have political leaders who lead in civil government but we also have church leaders who lead in the church there was no separation in Israel 2000 years ago it was the one and the same body who did it all religious and civic was all bound up in the one group the Sanhedrin so effectively what we're talking about here is a man who in our day and age would be equivalent to if not an MSP then an MP it was someone with standing it was someone with influence it was someone who wielded a fair degree of authority and it was this man Joseph now he was from Arimathea and Arimathea was a town in the area of Israel known as Judah and um, he's got the name Joseph of Arimathea I suppose more than anything else because there are just so many Josephs different Josephs in scripture and would be to distinguish just the same as Jesus of Nazareth got the name because he lived after he came back from Egypt with Mary and Joseph he lived for the best part of the 30 years before his public ministry in Nazareth and so he becomes at least that's one of his titles uh, Jesus of uh, Jesus of Nazareth and so we have somebody who's not a nobody we have somebody who is to the fore he, we have somebody of influence and we have somebody of authority and like many of the religious or rather of the many of the political elite today he was very well off he was wealthy we are told now there is nothing in all the world wrong with wealth now how you get your wealth may be wrong but there is no hint of Joseph of Arimathea getting his wealth by untoward means there is nothing wrong with people being wealthy Having wealth can have severe dangers. It can cause serious problems. And one of the problems of having wealth is this, that you think that your bank account can sort everything out. 
but it can't it can't there are some people do you know I think it is so incongruous in a day and age when part of Europe is being devastated by war that the headlines of our newspapers can be a wedding that's costing reputedly between 3.5 and 4 million I'm talking about the Beckham wedding and you know it just irks you when you have that as the major item uh, in, in a newspaper or an online paper um, it, it, it's, it says something about what, where our priorities lie and, and um, but that's the way it is in, in, in this world that we find ourselves in but this whole idea of wealth it can, it can do money speaks there's no question about that money speaks but money cannot deliver you from everything and there's one thing for sure money cannot deliver you from what's inevitable for us all that is death itself but there are many wealthy characters in scripture Abraham was very wealthy Jacob was very wealthy Job was very wealthy David was very wealthy Solomon nothing at all wrong with that it's what you do with your wealth that is just so important but this man because he was so wealthy he had bought himself a tomb on the outskirts of Jerusalem and I guess that would have cost a fair bit I remember doing some research maybe about a year ago amongst the Jewish community it's highly desirable to be buried uh, just on the outskirts of the ancient city of Jerusalem and there, there's, a, there's a massive cemetery there but back then it would cost you about a million dollars to get a burial spot there and the whole idea is this that um, in future events they're going to be somewhere near where significant things are going to be occurring and, and so you pay your million dollars and you get your burial site close to the ancient uh, walls I'm not sure what Joseph of Marathea paid for his burial site but we do know it was uh, purchased and had never ever been used I guess it was for himself and for his family but not only was he wealthy we read also often that he was a good man and he was a righteous man and that's why I think that he got his wealth in wholesome in a wholesome manner that he couldn't be faulted in that respect he was good and he was righteous and not only was he good and righteous in his own private life but his goodness and his righteousness manifest itself in the public arena and what I mean by that is this when the Sanhedrin said of Jesus of Nazareth crucify him just get rid of him he stood up and he stood out and he did not consent to the deed do you know this when you're in a public gathering like that and the tide seems to be going in one way and one way only it is very very hard to get on your feet and to go in the opposite direction it's very very hard 
But this man was so convicted and so convinced. He's a good man and he's a righteous man and he knows who Jesus is and he's not going to stand back on the sidelines and say nothing. I know there's a time to be silent. There's a time when it's wise to not open your mouth. But there are other times when you've got to speak out. And you've got to speak up. And that's what uh, Joseph of uh, this Joseph of Arimathea uh, was. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, equivalent to an MSP, an MP. He was wealthy, he was a good and upright man, and he did not consent to the decision that the Sanhedrin had come to. Well, what did he do in these circumstances? Well, we read of him that he followed Jesus secretly for fear of the Jews. And you know, it's all very well saying, you know, you're not meant to be a secret follower of Jesus. You're meant to hold the banner aloft and you're meant to nail your colours to the mast. You're meant to have it all out in the open. Well, who says? Who says? I know in most of our situations that that's the way it ought to go. But sometimes the evil that is opposing can be so insidious and so rampant that it might be better to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. And it looks as if that's the approach that Joseph of Arimathea took in this given situation I think it's hard for us in the luxury of the situation we find ourselves in to really comprehend what Israel and Jerusalem were like at this time I think you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife at the time of the Easter story in Jerusalem the vehemence and the being for blood that wouldn't be satisfied simply with death but it had to be the worst of all deaths executed by crucifixion manifests humanity at its very worst just for Arimathea knew all these things and his decision in the midst of it all was Yes, I will follow. But I will follow secretly. But you know, even secret followers get to the stage where their secrecy is not going to prevail any longer. And that's what happened in the Sanhedrin when they said, crucify him, crucify him. He said, I'm not going along with it. I'm just not going along with it. And sometimes that's the way it's got to be. I don't know your given situation. Maybe, maybe for all I know, you're here tonight and you are a secret follower of Jesus. 
Maybe you're scared of schoolmates. Maybe you're scared of workmates. Maybe you're scared of superiors. There are so many things to make us afraid. To make us so afraid. I'm not going to be overly critical of someone who follows Jesus secretly. But there comes a time when the secrecy has to be abandoned. And it came for Joseph of Arimathea. He's not consenting to this. He's simply not. But it's not just that. This man goes to Pontius Pilate. And he asks Pontius Pilate for the body of Jesus. I don't think we can capture how much he was loathed for that. And despised. Absolutely loathed and despised. And the whole pot is stirred up by the religious elite. In other words, by his co-workers in the Sanhedrin. That's where the heart of the venom lay. And that's where he operated. But right now, all the venom and hatred of the Sanhedrin is overwhelmed by something else. And the something else that overwhelms it is this. I know who that dead person is. I know who he is. And I think he was probably just as shocked as everybody else because he too probably didn't believe the way that he ought to believe. But he knows right now, I'm going to do something about this situation. And Nicodemus is in it as well. And he's a member of the Sanhedrin also. There are the two of them together and they go and they ask for the body of Jesus from Pontius Pilate and he says yes, yes. Yes, you can take him and you can bury him. And then we thirdly we're going to explore what did it all fulfill. Well let me read you some of the prophecy of Isaiah that was written 750 years before these events it took place. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And for his generation. Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken. For the transgression of my people. And listen to this. And they made his grave with the wicked. And with a rich man. In his death. Although he had done no violence. And there was no deceit. In his mouth. You know what strikes you about that? Just how meticulous the fulfilling of God's plan of salvation is. 
750 years earlier the prophet Isaiah wrote under this divine inspiration that Jesus would be entombed in the outskirts of Jerusalem in a rich man's tomb Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man right up to the very death of Jesus who could ever in their wildest dreams have imagined that that part of the prophecy of Isaiah would be fulfilled by what Joseph of Arimathea did on that night but that's the way it goes everything to a T everything in its place and here we are 2,000 years later the beneficiaries of this great work of redemption God leaves nothing to chance nothing at all and I'm back to where I was this morning we live out as even as believers so many of our days in terrible anxiety and terrible fear and I just wonder why why we do that Especially as we were looking this morning at the words of Jesus. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Surely that's security. And here we are, we're back to the same place tonight. Everything divine precision that is absolute. And yet we are so afraid so often. But in the midst of our fears we need to turn heavenward. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone. Let's remember that. Let's remember that. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm 126. It's a song about a great change coming in the experience of God's people. Remember Zion was where God dwelt in the temple and... Um, when Zion's bondage is turned back, it's the people of God who are experiencing great changes. Psalm 126, it's page 419 of the Psalter. That's at the beginning of the song. When Zion's bondage, God turned back. As men that dreamed were we. Then filled with laughter was our mouth, our tongue with melody. They among the heathen said, The Lord great things for them have wrought. The Lord hath done great things for us, whence joy to us is brought. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise when Zion's bondage God turned back.
Now may grace, mercy and peace from Father, Son and Holy Spirit 